0: 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, this is obviously the second letter Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth, and uh, so we'll begin in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, and you know that's the the custom of most letters, um, that the writer would put their name first. We know that's not how we do letters today. It's usually uh, at the bottom, you know, sincerely or whatever, the salutation at the end, and then we give our name. But it was this custom. By the way, speaking of, you know, the book of Hebrews, um, some people say, we don't know who wrote it. You know the first word in the book of Hebrews? God. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's his word. He breathed it through these human authors. So. But we do know that Paul was uh, the human person, who's writing this letter, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's important to know because apostles were appointed directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you remember, Paul didn't know, as he was Saul of Tarsus, he never, he didn't know Jesus personally during his ministry and all of that. Um, he didn't meet Jesus till after Jesus had already been crucified. He'd been buried. He was resurrected. And then 50 days later, um, 40 days after the, his resurrection, the ascension, he went back to heaven. So Jesus then met, later he met Paul, as we know, he was on his way to Damascus, which was the capital Syria, and still is. He was on the way up there to arrest the people, as they were called back then, the people of the way. We know that's uh, what later were called Christians. So anyway, that was what he was doing, as he was Saul of Tarsus, but he met Jesus, he was directly appointed by Jesus Christ to be an apostle, and that was God's will, and that's what he's saying here. He's emphasizing that because, you know, there, there were many that would think, of all people, this guy who was arresting Christians, um, he's the one appointed by God, but he's saying it was God's will appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with him, he says, and Timothy, our brother, um, Meaning, um, our brother in Christ, and Timothy was with him. And it says in the the King James, unto, which we would now say to, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Corinth is a city in the southern part of Greece. It's still there today. And uh, so it says, for these, the church of God, so that would be, of course, the believers, uh, which of course, are at Corinth. So they're there in that city. And then it says, with all the saints, which are in all Achaia. And Achaia is meaning, as it was then, the southern part of Greece. So that whole region, all the believers in that area. Verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple things. Always, every time, you'll see grace and then peace. We can't have any of God's peace without having his grace. So it's always in that order. Then he always mentions from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think what's important to note here is that why he has to keep saying that in all his letters is because think about the Jewish people who believe in the same God that we do. It's the same God. But they rejected Jesus as the Christ. So it's not just God the Father but and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So there very specifically. Verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy. So we'll, we'll pause there a moment. Um, but blessed meaning happy or praise to God in that sense. He's the Father, as we see here, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we've seen Jesus Christ several times in here, but of course Christ is not part of his name, It is actually a title. It means uh, Christos in the Greek means uh, what we would say king. And it always has a different article. So it's Jesus the Christ. Or if it's in front of Jesus, then it's Christ Jesus. Or we could say King Jesus. But in any case, um, he says in here that he's the father. This is God our father. He's the father of mercies. He's compassionate. And... We deserve, um, apart from our salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, we deserve to spend eternity separated from God. That's what uh, the scriptures teach, because we were lost. And that's what we deserve, but because we trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is his mercy. So we won't get what we deserve. He's the Father of mercies. Then he says, and the God of all comfort." The word comfort, um, and we know there's the word comfort, usually you think of it in the sense of when someone um, has a loved one that has gone to heaven and then um, we need to comfort in that sense because they're mourning. Uh, But this word means encouragement. And God gives us encouragement and he does it through the word. And the main purpose of coming together, and I know it's a little harder when we're live streaming and you're at home, and if you're not by yourself, at least you have somebody else that you can encourage. Uh, but it's important not just... Um, I think about Hebrews where uh, the Scripture says, forsake not the summoning yourselves together. Now, with the coronavirus and being requested not to have more than 10 people any place, I don't think the spring breakers in Florida got that message because the pictures I saw on TV, boy, <laughs> those beaches are crowded. And I'm sure the hotels are happy. You know, you think about what drives everything. You know, there are businesses, and they're making money. If they shut down, they don't make money. So it affects, um, I mean, then it affects workers who have to be laid off, and that goes on and on and on. But the point being, it's harder now to all assemble together. But think about the world in general, um, and not just non-believers, but think about believers, where church is not as important anymore, and they are f- forsaking the assembling together. But the purpose of it, as we find in Hebrews, is to come together and encourage one another. So we're doing the best we can through live streaming, but we encourage through the word, and that's where we get it from. And so he's saying he's the God of all comfort. All encouragement comes from him. We're not going to get it from the world and the corruption that comes through the world. Verse 4, who comforts, again that's the word encourage, who encourages us, this is God, who encourages us In all our tribulation, now that's not talking about the tribulation period, but it just means troubles, things we go through. He 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 is the one who gives us the encouragement. Otherwise, we would think we would have despair. We would think, okay, how are we ever going to get through this? We would there would be no hope. We would be depressed. And we need this encouragement. And so he says in verse 4 that we may be able to comfort, um, or of course meaning to encourage those who are in any trouble. First of all, we have to be sensitive to that. Sometimes we're not the one in trouble. But somebody else is going through something. And so if we're sensitive to that, they're another believer in Christ, then we can encourage them. So it says, uh, those in any trouble, by the, again, comfort or encouragement, wherewith, meaning with which, we ourselves are comforted or encouraged of God. So sometimes we've gone through things. I, I I think about this with experience. The more things that we go through, that we've experienced, it helps us to help others. So most all of us, have lost a loved one. So when someone loses a loved one, we, we have an inkling of what they might be feeling. And I know it's always different for each individual. I think it's harder. Some of the hardest funeral services that I've done were little children. They say statistically, again, there's statistics, stress-wise and the difficulty to come through the hardest thing. Is for a parent to lose a child. It's just not the natural order of things, and it's 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 more difficult. And so those are the hardest funerals I've done. Now it's still we still grieve. Um, uh, my grandmother lived. My father's mother lived to be eighty-three. I still grieved when she died, but it wasn't as hard as like when my um, Nephew, two and a half months old, died. So that was harder. In any case, if we've gone through it, I think it helps us to be able to imp- uh, have empathy with that person because we have felt something similar. So he's talking about encouraging. Now look at verse 5, if you will, so 2 Corinthians 1.5. For as, and I want to point out the word as because that's consistent throughout the word. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, Paul says, as we go through more sufferings, they increase, so our consolation, again, this is the word comfort, also abounds by Christ. So he says, we go through more sufferings and that increases, but as we have more through Christ, we get more comfort, we get more consolation, we get more encouragement. But keep thinking about that word as, and I've underlined in my Bible also the word sufferings. We're going to see that repeated here several times, and we're going to turn to a couple other scriptures in a moment, just you may have memorized already, but to look at them. Verse 6, he says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, I know that you know what that means, but I know a lot of Christians don't, so I'm going to talk about this for just a second. All right, so he said the things that they're going through, that Paul and Timothy and everything they were doing and the the suffering they were experiencing, he said they were doing it, he says, for your consolation, it was for your benefit and salvation. Now, think about it, because a lot of people don't think about this. He's talking, we saw that in the first couple of verses, he's talking to the believers in the region around Corinth in southern Greece, and so he's talking to They're believers; they're already saved. So when he says salvation here, and he says your salvation, he's not talking about their lost people, and he's trying to get them saved. Because a lot of people see the word salvation, they think one thing: that's going to heaven. They're already saved. They're believers in that area, and they're already saved. They're already going to heaven. So he's not talking here about salvation of the spirit, he's talking about salvation of the soul, he's talking about rewards, he's talking about entering the kingdom, he's talking about at the judgment seat of Christ that they might hear, well done thou good and faithful servant. So think about that as you read that. So he says they're going through it, they were suffering all the things they were suffering for their benefit, for their salvation, so they might Um, Here, well done at the judgment seat. Now, going on, it says, which is effectual, meaning it works in you, in the enduring of the same, and there's the word again, sufferings, which we also suffer, or whether we're comforted or encouraged, it is for your consolation and salvation. He says the same thing again, your consolation and your salvation. Now, he keeps mentioning the sufferings they're going through it. We have sufferings and all of this. But a scripture, if you'll hold your place here just a moment and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll be right back. If you haven't memorized already, 2 Timothy 2.12, obviously you don't need to go there. Or if you have an electronic device, it's easier. 2 Timothy 2.12, the first part of the verse says, if we... Paul's writing to Timothy, so he includes himself when he says we. So Paul's obviously a believer. If we suffer, there's that word again, we shall also reign with him. So the word reign, you can come back to Corinthians. Reigning, of course, is ruling. Christ will rule in the coming millennial kingdom, but we have to, as believers, suffer to get to reign. Some Christians aren't suffering, right? There's no. There's no battle going on in their life. They're just doing whatever they want to. They're not having a struggle of saying no to self and yes to God. They're just doing what self wants. So there's that suffering. Now another scripture, and, and this we can do it now while we're here. So hold your place in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and go back two books to Romans, chapter eight. Most of you have this memorized too, Romans 8:18. 8, Romans 8:18. 8, Paul says, "For, for means because based on what he just said about being joint heirs with Christ." Let's go back to 17 anyway, because that's good too. Okay, well it's all good, but <laughs> for this connection, verse 17, uh, Romans 8:17, and if children, then heirs. In other words, so of course, if children, meaning we are his children, right? We're the children of God. Then we're heirs. We can get the inheritance. If we don't forfeit it, but we can get it. it. We're heirs because we're children. It says, "If heirs, oh sorry, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, join heirs or co-heirs with Christ. So when Christ rules, we can rule with Him. That's co-heirs. But then it says, "If the condition, if so be that we suffer with Him." So that connects with Second Timothy two twelve. We see it here in Romans. And this is connected to the suffering in Second Corinthians chapter one. If we suffer with him, that we may also glorify together. And what's implied here is glorified together with him. Verse eighteen, Paul says, "For I reckon." That's uh, you remember not long ago, um, uh, Jimmy preached about reckoning. And while he was preaching, I thought about my grandmother, the one I just spoke of, who lived to eighty-three and I was preaching her funeral, but I thought about something she always said. Even though she was born and raised in Ohio, um, so a true Yankee, as they're called, yet she had these somewhat Southern expressions, which because she said, I speck a reckon. (laughs) I speck a reckon. She'd say that a lot. (coughs) Excuse me. But reckoning here is an accounting term. So Paul says... For or because I reckon that the sufferings, there's the word again, of this present time, this age we're living. As Paul was living then and we're now, uh, he was at the beginning of the fifth day, we're at the end of the sixth day. But the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. In other words, you can come back to Corinthians. If you're doing comparisons, he's saying there is no comparison. You, It's just so f- amazing the glory that will be in the coming kingdom, you can't compare it. It's so much more than any sufferings we would go through in this life. So no matter how difficult this pandemic gets, not just for those who get sick and have to overcome it, or try to overcome it, but also any financial burdens that might come of it. No matter how bad, it doesn't compare. So coming back here to... Second Corinthians chapter 1, now verse 7, and our hope. Well, we can turn a lot of verses about this. But so many people use the word hope in a different way. But hope, of course, in the use in the Bible, means something that may happen or may not happen. There, we hope. Now, we don't hope that we get to go to heaven. It has nothing to do with our goodness or how lack of goodness. None of us would get to heaven if it were based on our goodness, right? Because we have all sinned. And so we were lost. And so it was believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the blood that he shed for the remission of our sins, that gave us salvation. So we don't hope to get to go to heaven. But some people don't know that. And I hear so many say, well, I hope I'll be there. So they don't like songs like, When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. they're hoping to be there and and they're the reason they hope is they don't want to be they say well i don't want to be arrogant and think that that i'm good enough to be there but it goes all back to that goodness it's not having anything to do with that i don't know how many funerals i've had just because that thought is in a lot of people's mind it'll be somebody that has passed and um it's the the visitations going on and that person might not have been in church for 10 20 30 years and the person might say well I'm sure they're in heaven because they were a good person. Doesn't have anything to do with it, (laughs) right? So this hope, the hope has to do with salvation of the soul. It has to do with reward. It has to do with ruling and reigning with Christ. So we know that. You understand it. But that's the hope. So he says, and our hope of you is steadfast. It's firm. We're, we're, We're hoping, knowing that, and here's the word as again. I, wanted, I pointed it out in verse four, 5, for as the sufferings. So he says, that as you are partakers of the sufferings. Now, I'm reading from the King James, and I know it says ye. <laughs> and, and ye, because in English now, we just say you, whether it's singular or plural. One way to know that it's plural in, in the King James is it will be ye. Ye means plural, all right, so... So he's talking about you as believers. He says that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. That consolation he connects in verse 6 twice to the word salvation. So he's not just talking about how God can encourage us and comfort us now, but he's talking about rewards in the coming kingdom. So don't just think about it now. In particular, think about in the age to come, in the coming millennial kingdom, the kingdom age. So you see how it's related as we're partakers of the sufferings? That's how we get the consolation. It's directly proportional. Verse 8, Paul says, For we believers, and in this case um, uh, himself and Timothy, we would not... Brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia? Now, pause here a moment. This, this expression he uses a lot. I want to make sure you know this. There's a lot of things he talks about. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Make sure you know this. But here he's talking about the things that they suffered in Asia. It was called Asia Minor then. We now call it Turkey. It was in that region, region of the country, and that's of, of the world. And that's where he was saying, I want to make sure you know the troubles we went through, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now, I don't know how many of us have ever been at a point where we thought maybe that was going to be it and our, our life was going to be over. But that's how they felt. They despaired even of their very physical lives. I'll admit to you that while I was in the hospital, there was a point one night at 3 o'clock in the morning that was the closest I ever felt that it was going to be the end of my life here. I know now that wasn't God's plan yet. He, he's got all of our days numbered. He just didn't tell us the number of the days. Um, so we don't know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. But it also could be the rapture but we know we should be ready. We should try to be ready as believers that the next thing that will happen is the judgment seat. Verse 9, he says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. We should trust in God who raises the dead. So, first of all, he says, we, we had the sentence of death, which means we were willing to die. That's what Paul's saying. We were willing to die. We were willing to lose our physical lives. That we should not trust in ourselves. So that way, they weren't putting their trust in themselves. They were totally trusting God. It was totally up to Him. And He's the one who raises the dead. So we trust Him. Verse 10. Who, speaking of God, delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. How are we doing on time? Well, we got a few minutes. Verse 11. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given to many on our behalf. Now, I read that verse and i like, what? <laughs> <clears throat> He's saying, okay, all of you are praying. Lots of people are praying. That's good, and that's helpful, and that's what we all are doing, praying for one another. And he's saying that in that sense that that many people are praying, then he said thanks can be given by many on our behalf. Verse 12. For, goes on to explain, our rejoicing. Now again, this is going to compare the sufferings with the rejoicing. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, let's pause a moment. Simplicity means Pure motives. Um, There are some people that don't have pure motives. Paul said we had pure motives. And godly sincerity. Not with fleshly wisdom. Now this reminds us of the first, first Corinthians, right? Not with the wisdom of this world. Not the carnal wisdom. Not human wisdom. He says, but by the grace of God. We have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word, which we would just say now you. So that's what he's saying. Now he's going to talk more about this rejoicing. Verse 13, For we write none other things to you than that what you read or acknowledge. In other words, we meant what we said. It's not double talk. And he says, And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end that you'll continue to acknowledge that. Verse 14, As also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are, here it is again, your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's talk about that a moment. What's he talking about, this rejoicing? In the day of our Lord Jesus. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And what's he mean here? If you'll hold your place, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to point out a scripture there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, For what is our hope? What is our joy? I know it just says, or joy, or crown. But anyway, so I'm, I'm just repeating the first part. For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? And what's his answer? He asks it in, a, in a, a question. Are not even ye, that's that, the believers, the plural here, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. When Paul says our rejoicing is that if at the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus says to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He said, that's our rejoicing. You are our our rejoicing that at the judgment seat, if you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So come back to Corinthians. So he's talking about this constantly. He talks about the suffering. He talks about the rejoicing. And he says, you are our rejoicing. And that's what he means in the day of our Lord Jesus. To hear if he says to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Verse 15. He says, in this confidence, I was minded to come to you before that you might have a second benefit, right? He wants to come back again. That would be beneficial again if he was able to return. Verse 16, and to pass by you into Macedonia. That's the area uh, there around Greece. And to come again. That is, he means come back out of Macedonia to you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. So as he's traveling. Verse 17, when I therefore was thus minded, that is to do what he just said in verse 16, when I had that in my mind, did I use likeness? Some were implying that he didn't really mean he was going to come back. He's just saying that. He said, did I use likeness? it so, like, did I not mean what I said? Or things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. What does what's that, what's that mean? All right, so we don't say yay, yay and nay, nay anymore. We say yes and no. But anyway, yay, and of course this was Greek translated into English. All right, but yay, yay, nay, nay. He means at the same time. It's not yes out of one side of the mouth and no out of the other side of the mouth. It's, it's. We said what we meant. He said, "I meant to come to you. I mean to come to you." It's not just made up. Then he says, verse eighteen. But as God is true. Our word toward you was not yea and nay. It was not yes and no at the same time. It was not one thing and the other opposite of it. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus, or that's Silas. remember uh, Silas was um, with Paul in prison at Philippi. So that's who that is there. And Timothy was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. So it wasn't yes and no. It wasn't one thing and the other at the same time. It was yes. In other words, we meant what we said. Verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea. Let's talk about the promises of God. Jerry's been teaching about it in lot, lots of times in the last several months. But in Genesis chapter 12, there was a promise to First it was Abram and it was changed to Abraham. But a promise. There was something about a seed and something about he'd be the father of many nations. Right? That was a promise. At first he didn't quite believe it because how Sarah couldn't have children anymore, so how is that going to happen? So remember Sarah suggested, Sarai at the time suggested, hey, well maybe he means you'll have the, the, the the nations that will come forth will be through the handmaid. So that was they, Often people did that in that day. So he went into the handmaid, Hagar, and Ishmael was born. And God said, no, that wasn't what I was talking about. That's not the promised seed. So remember, it was Isaac. So he waited 13 years. When Abraham was impotent, both of them couldn't have children. So there's a miracle. Isaac was born. Anyway, that was a promise. And it happened. And all the promises of God... Now, promises have conditions, but when God gives a promise, he's not going to take it back and say, "Oh, well, 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 I changed my mind. God isn't going to do that. The promises of God, all the promises of God in him are yea. It's not yea and nay, maybe this, maybe not, but if we meet the condition, the promise will happen. It says, and in him, it's still talking about Christ, Right? And in him, amen. I mean, so be it. To the glory of God by us. Verse 21. Almost done. Now, he who establishes. Now, establisheth in the King James, right? Uh, We now say, we put an E in front of it. He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God right? So, God is in control of all of this. Verse 22 Who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Let's so talk about that a lot. There are a lot of people that uh, teach you can lose your salvation, and of course, they're talking about that you can be uh, saved and, and then going to heaven, and then you can get lost and then not going to heaven, and you get saved again and going to heaven. Uh, of course, that's not what the scriptures teach, but um, people that believe that. <coughs> Excuse me. When I think about, there was a lady in Texas, I believe, who went to a kind of church that believed you could lose your salvation. It was really horrible what she did, but in her mind, she thought, okay, her children got saved. She didn't want them to get into the things of the world and get lost again. She wanted them to be in heaven, so to guarantee that. She drowned him in the bathtub. It's a horrible, tragic thing. But she was doing it based on what she was being preached at church, what she was being taught. So we can't lose our salvation. And as Paul was saying about himself, he has sealed us, all of us as believers. There's a seal and then he uses this word in given the earnest, which is, uh, as Jimmy Perry knows, uh, like a real estate term. It's like a guarantee of the Spirit in our hearts. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in us. That's the guarantee. We are sealed. Now, if you go to a church or heard about churches that believe you can lose your salvation, um, I'll give you an example. Seventh-day Adventists believe you can lose your salvation. Now, So I asked them about this verse, about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, by the way, we didn't do anything to get sealed. We believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he did that. He sealed us. But anyway, they said, oh, but you can become unsealed. So, which doesn't make, if we didn't do anything to get sealed, how can we unseal ourselves? By the way, talking about sealing, being sealed, uh, the same thing, God does that in the tribulation period, before the second half of the tribulation period starts, this is in Revelation 7 and 14, those two chapters, he says before anything happens, he has the, the angels hold back the wind, so to speak. Hold it all back before it all starts until certain individuals are sealed by God. They're protected by God. They're, they're sealed and he talks about 144,000, but anyway, that's not the message today. Anyway, so sealed. We're sealed. And this is the earnest or guarantee of the Spirit in our hearts. Verse 23, moreover, he says, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet to Corinth. What's he mean by that? Well, he didn't come right away. He might have been too upset about what was going on. You remember First Corinthians? All right, verse 24, nor for that we have dominion over your faith. You know, we can't, no preacher, no, no pastor of a church, no Sunday school teacher, N- none of us are like the authority and just we can demand you do this or you don't do that and you do this and you don't do that. We don't have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. And then the word faith comes back in, for by faith we stand. Um, Jerry's been teaching in Sunday school about faith. Those that had faith in the Old Testament, and those that did not. And how we should have faith. Not just the faith we had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to get saved, but now faith in the Christian, our Christian walk. Trusting in Him. And there's that word joy. Helpers of your joy. Um, we're going to stop here, but let me conclude with this, about this Joy. Remember, Jesus said, uh, the parable of the talents, and he said to those who, who used what God gave them, and they were responsible, they were faithful, and then he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. In other words, you were faithful over what I gave you to do. So he says, you've been faithful over a few things. So I'll make you ruler over many things. And then he said, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Enter into your Lord's joy. What is that joy? It's what he said in Hebrews. For that joy that was set before me. Christ was obedient, right? Not just to death, but to the death of the cross. He did it all for that joy. That's talking about the glory or the majesty of when he returns as king and sets up the kingdom. That's that joy. That's that word rejoicing that he was talking about. That's that word consolation. It's the salvation. It's the joy. He's helpers. And this word now is for us, the Bible, as helpers for our joy that we hear him say, enter into my joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word in reminding us of this, that the sufferings, that we suffer are directly proportional to the rejoicing. Um, and Father, we know that what Paul and Timothy and those with them were doing, they suffered a lot because of it, they were doing the work of the Lord. So Father, sometimes it might be harder for us in the world we're living to continue to be faithful because so many around us are not. And we know we're not talking about lost people. Lost people can't be faithful. We're talking about those who are believers. And so many other things seem to take priority, more so than the spiritual things. All the things of this world we know you've taught us will have an end. We'll not take any of it with us. The only thing that will last is what's spiritual what we're getting from your word, why we're in your word this morning and why we stay in your word. Help us to do that and to be faithful to it. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.